Lord, it is no accident what we've walked through this year. And I don't mean just in culture and with, with the contagion and all of those things. I'm, it, it, it perpetually astonishes me that you work through the pastors at this church to pick what we're going to preach on and that it is always so timely. Um, from James to Judges to the, church, the letters to the churches in Revelation and now, now to Ephesians. Lord, give us hope today because we need it. Lord, I, I want to speak your words to your people, not my words to them. So stand in my shoes, give me your thoughts and speak with my mouth. Tell your people what you want them to hear and give your people, all of us, myself included, eyes to see what you want us to see, ears to hear what you want us to hear, and most importantly, hearts to receive what you want us to receive. We pray this in Jesus' name, through the power of your spirit, for the glory of God our Father. Amen. So a couple of things to be thinking about. Um, the book of Ephesians is, uh, there's not any particular error that the Ephesian church is experiencing. There's no particular heresy that Paul is trying to, to, to correct. Uh, but you do know, because of the first, the first letter to, the, the first church that a letter is written to in the book of Revelation in, in Ephesians chapter 1, Jesus himself has something to say to the church in Ephesus. And at first he says, look, you're really good at figuring out what's false. There's false teachers, there's false prophets, and you test them and you know. You know what's true. But this one thing I have against you, you've lost your first love. They have the head, but they lost the heart. And we talked about that several weeks ago. Um, I think Paul is, is getting to that too. And this is just a couple of decades separated from when Paul authors this letter to when Jesus authors the, uh, the letter that goes to the church in Ephesus. So I don't know if they're, if they're being tempted already or not, but he's trying to, to not only reassure them, but remind them who they are and whose they are. So some things I would like to ask you to listen to when you hear this reading, because we'll read it all the way through. And again, it is very lengthy, not lengthy, like long. it's just hard to follow but it's very effusive. He's very glowing in his word use. But a couple of things to listen for. Themes. Pleasure. Whose pleasure are we speaking of? That shows up several times in this passage. The other one is, and this is one that gets a little tricky, a little wonky with whatever tradition you come from, elect, predestined, or chosen. And we get a little crazy with that sometimes in the church because, oh, I, I don't believe in predestination. I believe in, 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 in free will. Okay, I get it. I totally get it. I know for myself that I, I decided heaven and hell on August 5th, 1981. I know it. But I can also look back and see that God was drawing me to himself. So am I elect or did I pick it myself? The answer is yes. Okay, Paul, the greatest advocate for the elect, for those that God has chosen, is also the greatest evangelist of all time. So if those two things are separated, like it's all person or it's all Jesus and we don't have any choice, if those two things are that far separated, we're missing something. Here, it's pulled together that it's by grace that you were saved and because God chose you. So I want you to listen to that because if he has chosen you and scripture tells me he has, if he's chosen you, if he's before the dawn of history, if he, if he knew what was going to happen in 2020, which he did, then you have a mission, and that is to bring glory to God, which gives him pleasure. So that's, listen with those ears. It reads like this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, 
Sorry, I stopped right away already. I know, I know. But the Greek is a little, we, it says praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that works for us in English. But, but every Jewish prayer, and, and Paul was a Jew, every Jewish prayer, every festival, every major prayer, every time they're gathered together, every prayer starts off like this. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu. And it means, bless you, Lord our God. In Greek, it actually says here, not praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, but it says, bless the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms and with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before creation, the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one Jesus that he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he has lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding." And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment. To bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. Now, we get a little, some people get a little like under one head, even Christ. No. It, you remember Charlie Brown's Christmas special when Linus finally says that the, you know, the shepherds were in the field at night and, they, and the angels appeared and they say, glory to God in the highest on earth, peace to men on whom God's favor rest. And it says, and they were sore afraid. Who says sore afraid? Who says even Christ? It's what, what, what Paul is saying here, better translation today might be to bring all things in heaven and on earth under, under one head. And of course, that head is Christ. In him... We are also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of, of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who was the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. For this reason, ever since I heard about the faith that you have, or your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and the incomparable great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed, and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, 
which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. That's a lot. And it's hard to follow. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to zero in on, on if you have, if you're a hunter or a marksman, if you shoot pistols or bows and arrow, um, bow and arrows, I guess you don't shoot many bows. And you have a target. There's the target. And then there's these rings. And your goal is to keep a tight grouping in the middle. Now, all these other things, you're hitting the target. There's a lot in here we could talk about. But what is, what is, what is Paul trying to remind the church in Ephesus? And therefore, what is God trying to remind us? I think overwhelmingly, it's two things. Number, number one, you were chosen. God picked you. Now, think about it when you're in third grade at recess. And you go out there, and I don't know if it still happens that way. I think that you have to wear a mask now at recess, and you have to, if you want to take a break at recess from your mask, you have to go over and stand against the wall, ask permission. I'm, I'm not sure, but it wasn't that way when I was growing up. And we played football or tag or dodgeball or all kinds of other things that had names that we can't use anymore. But the worst thing in the world for a third grade boy at recess when you're being picked, when, when you're choosing teams for a, for a game that you think you're good at is to be picked last. But being picked was important. Now, I know you're not third graders. Some of you are, but not most of you aren't. But the, the, the God of the universe decided before he made one human being that in this time, this season of, of, of earth, you are one that he has picked before any of you were ever a twinkle in the eyes of your father. He picked you. He chose you for what purpose? To give him glory. See, sometimes we get caught up in this idea that Christianity is for Christians. And it is. I mean, there's a... There's a, there's a um, there's a benefit to us. It's eternal life insurance. It's fire insurance. I'm not going to burn. That's a good thing. I like that. But that's not why he came. He didn't come just so that Trent Walker on this day is assured of his salvation. That is a, that is a benefit to me. It tells us here that the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of my inheritance. That it's the deposit paid in advance so that I know that I can be assured of what Christ has for me in everlasting life. But... The purpose of the church, the purpose of his elect, the purpose of those that he has chosen is not just so that we feel good and we feel safe and we're assured of eternal life. That is a benefit. But the purpose that what brings God pleasure is that he gets glory from our obedience. Yes, we are to He wants us to have this so that we know him better. But notice that at the end of, of, of verse 11, I'll just read it. it I'm not sure if the scripture's working. It wasn't working in the first, first service. In him, we, we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan, the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his Glory. I don't know about you, but that's not usually what I'm thinking about. 
I don't know, I'm sure you noticed by now, but two days ago, one of the Supreme Court justices passed away. And I would love to tell you that the first thought that went through my head is, oh Lord, be with her family because they've gotta be devastated. Her children, her grandchildren, they have to be, oh, because she's hung in there a long time. But that's not the first thing that went through my head. The first thing that went through my head is, uh-oh, here we go. You know, it's been a little crazy lately. It's been a little crazy for years. This is not gonna make things better because there will be accusations. There will be lives destroyed. There will be, um, there will be anger. There will be division. I don't know if you've seen any of that. My spiritual gift is sarcasm. So I look at that and I'm like, oh, it's just gonna get worse. And then I grieve a little bit that maybe you have, but I have not. God has not uh, issued an invitation to me to sit on his advisory board because I have some ideas of what he could do to make this all work better. But he hasn't, he hasn't asked me to sit on that committee. I'm not part of his um, inner circle and neither are you. If I'm supposed to submit myself to God's will, God's plan, God's desire, God's mission, then I have to trust and believe that God from before time began knew what's happening right now. And that whatever happens, whoever ends up on the Supreme Court of the United States of America, whoever en enters up as the president of the United States, God has ordained it. We will either get who he wants us to have or who we deserve. And I know that's like, that sounds fatalistic. It's not. If you look back at Israel, we talked about this a little bit last week. You look back at Israel when they had been disobedient for so long, they had skipped 70, 70 years of Jubilee in their existence. And so God got so frustrated with them that they were not turning around that he said, I'm gonna allow Babylon Nebuchadnezzar, a demon-worshiping king, I'm gonna let him conquer you and he's gonna take you and he's gonna take you to Babylon and you're gonna be there 70 years. But I know the plans I have, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future, but not till after 70 years. And when you go there, I want you to bless the people who held you captive and they will be blessed. And you know what happened? It took a long time but God warned Nebuchadnezzar, judged Nebuchadnezzar, and even punished Nebuchadnezzar. But Nebuchadnezzar came around and he ended up issuing a decree to the entire known world that the God that we worship is the only God. He turned Babylon around. Did God ordain, decide, or just allow? All those are the same thing, but that depends on how you look at it. Israel, his chosen people, Something terrible to happen to them? Yes, but did he use them to do something glorious? Yes. Now, two kings later, they had turned around and gone the other way. They were judged and Babylon was destroyed, but he gave them a shot. See, I don't think Father, Son, and Holy Spirit sit around the breakfast table 
at all, but just metaphorically speaking. I don't think they're sitting around the breakfast table when, when the Supreme Court justice died and went, what are we going to do? But sometimes I have an attitude that I believe like the church in Ephesus when Jesus talks to them in Revelation. Like, I got it figured out up here, but down here, do I really trust that God knows what he's doing, that God is gonna gather all things under the feet of Jesus and that he's gonna use us to do that. We are the chosen vehicle of God to bring hope to the world. We are. And yes, I have my opinions, I have my thoughts, I have my desires, and I think that God should do a certain thing a certain way. We talked about this at the beginning. We were, we were praying 2 Chronicles 7, 14. People who are called by name will humble themselves and seek my face and they will confess their sins and they will, I will heal their land. And then about six or eight weeks ago, kind of stood up and said, you know, we've been praying that a long time, but God hasn't healed our land. And I asked this simple question. Maybe he is healing our land, but it's not in the way that we would have picked. It's not in the way I would have liked. Maybe God is doing something new that will be different forever. And what is he asking his people? To be about his glory and not ours. To be about his kingdom and not ours. To first say, yes, my Lord. Think about Jesus for a moment. The place where I believe that Jesus' humanity showed most, he's fully human, fully divine. I'm not in any way dividing out his, 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 that, that hypostatic union. But I see him in, in Mark 1 when a leper comes to him and says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. This leper risks his life to come to Jesus because Jesus is supposed to stone him to death. But he, he comes and he says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. He falls on his knees. If you're willing, you can make me clean. And it tells us that Jesus was moved in his bowels. I mean, deep down in his gut and filled with compassion. That is the humanity of the God of the universe. And then the next time I believe that it, his humanity shows is was he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's sweating blood because he knows the suffering that's about to come because he's a member of the Trinity. He knew before Adam and then Eve were even created all that would happen. And then he, find, and he knew that he was gonna offer himself as a sacrifice for you and I, that we would be redeemed or bought back by his blood, which tells us it right here in Ephesians 1, that we would be forgiven our sins because of what he would go through. But in that moment, he looked at what he might have to go through, what he would have to go through, and he says, Father, take this cup of suffering from me if you can, but not what I want right now, but what you want, not my will, but yours be done. That is the call of every Christian to not be thinking, what do I want? But to be thinking, I'm not trustworthy. Jesus, in his humanity, knowing the suffering is coming, knows that his human will is not to be trusted at that moment. But the will of his father is, are we people who believe, really believe, that God is going to gather all things under Christ? All things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Do we believe that God is really Sovereign, that God is really 
king, that God is really Lord, that his desire is that all would be saved? Is that what we really believe or do we just think it here and we really want the politicization of things to work out the way we want them to work out? I want them to work out the way I want them to work out. I do, but I don't have signs in my yard. Because if I did, think people think I'm speaking for the church. We had someone come to our door yesterday and knock on the door, dog barks, of course. You know how much I love that. And she's all dressed up in a certain um, party's regalia and asked us questions and we answered the questions, but I can tell you for sure that she did not stop at the house next door. Because the house next door has signs up and that's fine. But I have to discern, we have to discern whose we are first. Do I belong body and soul and life and a death to my faithful savior, Jesus Christ? Do I believe that he picked me before time? Because if he did, and scripture tells us he did, then he invites us in not only to his will, not only into his purpose, but into his pleasure and into his mission. Who doesn't want God to be pleased with them? Sometimes we ask, what do we think would please God? But really what we're asking is, what do we think would appease God? What do I have to do to make sure he's not angry with me? But think about it for a moment. There's gonna be a time when every one of us will meet the Lord face to face. And the scripture tells us that, that, that at the name of Jesus, every tongue will confess and every knee will bow. Some people are gonna be pushed to their knee and others will have already bent, had a bent knee, a bent will to Christ. I want to be one who was already bending my knee. I want to be one that he looks up and I've got my head buried in the dirt, like, forgive me, Lord, you know, and he, he lifts, I want him to, I want him to lift my, my chin and look at me and go, oh, I'm pleased with you. And, and he already is. The whole scripture, the whole gospel starts off with glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to humanity on whom God's favor rests. You're his favorite but he picked you not just to give you the pleasure of salvation and the inheritance that he's promised and he's downpaid, he's made a down payment with the Holy Spirit of God who lives within you, but it's to, it's to, it's to please God. It's to do his mission, not ask him to do yours. Have political opinions, but pray that God does what God wills, because then you are deciding to be like Jesus in the garden and saying, here's what I want. But not what I want, what you want, because I'm not trustworthy. I want the things that will make my lifestyle better, my, my way of life better, my way of thinking more prominent, more popular, more uh, ubiquitous, more universal. But what does God want to do? There are people all around this world that if the judgment came today are going to hell and I shouldn't be okay with that. And I don't think God is. Do I think this is the end that, that, that it's over? I do not. I think God is doing something new. I just can't put my finger on it. But I do know he's called his people to one thing. Yes, my Lord to one thing, in all things, for all things. Yes, 
my Lord. He told us that you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Not him, he is. But you are the chosen, you're the vehicle that the God of the universe from before time chose to bring hope to humanity. I don't know who's going to get elected. I don't know how long it'll be before we have a new Supreme Court justice. I don't know. I have no idea. But I can tell you this, without being a prophet, it's going to get worse in the next 46 days. Is that what it is? It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. There's going to be more anger. There's going to be people's reputations that are destroyed and lives are destroyed. There's going to be accusations. There's going to be pointing the fingers and calling the other one evil. And God knows it's going to happen. And his people get to choose whether we become part of lying, cheating, arguing, accusing, and judging, or if we're going to be part of God's heart for humanity, seeing our brokenness and choosing to redeem with mercy and grace for God's pleasure. God loves you. You are dear to him. And he's pleased with you. He wants what's best for you. And what's best for you, whether you know it or not, is this. To live for him, not to ask him to live for you. He's already done that 2,000 years ago. He lived and died and went to hell for you. And he designed this whole thing so that you and I could have peace and hope and joy, that we could love our neighbor, that we could forgive whatever grievance we might have against one another. He told us that we are God's chosen people, holy, H-O-L-Y, not W-H, holy and dearly loved. And he asks us to clothe ourselves with compassion and kindness and gentleness and patience. And we're supposed to forgive each other as the Lord forgave us. And over all these virtues, put on love because that binds them all together in perfect unity. And what does God want to do? He wants to bind all of humanity together, all of humanity, all of heaven and earth under Christ. And you are the vehicle he chooses to travel, to bring people from where they are to under him. And it is a glorious and painful calling. It's up to you how you respond to that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for choosing us, for knowing before we were ever born who we would be and whose we would be. I ask that you give us the courage to say, yes, my Lord, that you give us the strength to live not my will, but yours, and that you give us the hope to look at all the turmoil and recognize that you put, you put powers in place and you take them down. You rise up kingdoms and, you, and you, you topple them. That you are divine, you are sovereign, and you know better than we what's coming next. We don't know the future, but we do know the one who does. Help us remember to worship 
and to please the one who does. In Jesus' name, amen.